Well, welcome along to the penultimate um, Forever Blue podcast of the year, of the season anyway. Um, supported, as always, by Howard Solicitors, who are based in Ashton and Stockport. Uh, they specialise in personal injury claims, so no win, no fee basis. If you've got an accident, of course, you can give them a call and they'll try and help you. They're on 0161 872 and then all the nines, or just email them at law at howardsolicitors.com. And they are a company that are supporting this podcast, which I'm very grateful and run by uh, the two people I've met anyway, really, really good blokes who um, want to support, well, our city supporters anyway, but want to support this podcast. So very grateful to that. Uh, I'm Ian Cheeseman and I've welcomed back today somebody we had on a few weeks ago at the last minute. Um, he's always a saviour to me. He's a great friend of mine as well. Uh, now he's back in management. He still managed to find a bit of time to do the podcast because I promised he'd return. And that is Paul Simpson. Um, you still, my wife said when she saw a picture of you recently, he looks like he's a teenager, that Paul Simpson. Does it, do you still feel like a, no, a I'm teenager? No, I'm just really, really good at editing photographs. That's all it is. <laughs> no, trust me, I don't, I don't feel like a teenager. And if she sees me properly, I don't look like a teenager either. I still feel, I, I still feel good. I still feel like I did when I was a teenager involved in football. I'm loving being involved and, I, I always go back to when I first started in 1982, my aim was to get a, a, a pro contract. Then it was to play first team football. That, that was how I sort of saw it all. And I look, I just think now at 55 year old to still be involved in football, I just feel as though I'm really, really lucky and, and definitely enjoying my life. Well, we all feel lucky as City fans at the moment because uh, it doesn't really get much better. I mean, I know... Uh, City didn't win the FA Cup, aren't going to win the Champions League, didn't win the League Cup. I might, might, if all things go wrong, not even win the league, though I'm not particularly contemplating that. But it's still, it's still fantastic being a City fan, watching this great football, seeing these great players and and seeing so many smiling faces uh, round about, two of which have joined me as well as part of the podcast team. Uh, Adam Waring, who's a regular contributor, um, a young man with a big career, I'm sure, in, in front of him. Um, and it's always nice to see you, Adam. Are you enjoying life as a blue at the moment? Ah, yeah, it's not too bad. I mean, I'd have been doing it uh, a lot more if Mara's put that penalty away at the weekend, but uh, we'll, <laughs> we'll leave that to later on. <laughs> Absolutely. And then we've got the ever-youthful Amy, um, who's now devastated because Sergio's not there anymore, but maybe, maybe Erling Haaland's the new uh, love of your life, eh, Amy? No? No. That's, that's <laughs> no. pretty blunt then, isn't it? <laughs> no. <laughs> Did you get to go to any of the celebration stuff um, last weekend? You know, the, uh, no, the Sergio Aguero stuff? I was fuming, like literally fuming. Like, I got an email to say I'd not been successful. I was like, they're just doing it on purpose because they know I stalk him. So they want me to keep him far away for as possible from him. Well, if it's any consolation, I wasn't there either. So um, so there you go. But we've got lots of things to celebrate, lots of things to talk about. Um, let, let's start just by talking a little bit about the, the last game that City have played, of course, at West Ham. Uh, I certainly went there having watched them beat Newcastle um, quite convincingly. Then at Wolves, win again, quite convincingly. And my son said to me before I went, you know, this will be tougher. Uh, West Ham have got something to play for, you know, they're, they're playing for a place in the Europa League. So he was right. I, I was thinking it would be another one where City perhaps swept the opposition away because of how good they are at the moment. 
Uh, Paul, how did you feel? Did, were you with my son that it was a, an anxious one or did you uh, did you respect West Ham to the extent where you thought they might do what they did? I think you have to respect West Ham. I think the way that they've been this season, they're a really, really tough team to play against. I just think they're, they've got so many match winners in their team and they've got such a, a well-organised structure that David Moyes has put into them that I did actually think it was going to be a really tough game. I'll be honest, I thought City would win it, um, but I did expect it to be a tough game. And I must admit, I was driving back from, um, down, I was down in Devon at a wedding at the weekend, so I was driving back and, and listening on the, uh, on, on the commentary. And, um, boy, it, I mean, at 2-0, you're thinking, wow, that, you know, what's going to happen here? Where's, where's it all going uh, to end up? And certainly setting it up for a typical Manchester City last game of the season job. Um, but... I think they showed the character, didn't they? Second half, they showed the character. And, and, and as Adam said there, they probably should have took it in the end. They, they probably should have got all three points and made it a really comfortable last game of the season. But um, it, it just makes it exciting, doesn't it? And, and the truth is, getting that point, it's still in their hands. They do the job the same as they have done for, for the whole of this season at home. And every, every Blue fan will be celebrating at the weekend. Well, I was down there at West Ham and, and I must admit I did a bit of head shaking in the first half. Um, you know, when the, the first goal went in, um, I'm thinking, what's going on here? When the second goal goes in, just before half-time, I'm thinking, City are going to lose this. Mm. But then I talked to a couple of fans. One or two were despondent. One was saying, why is everybody criticising City? They're such a great team. Uh, and one or two were just sort of keep the faith and it'll all turn round. And by the time the second half started, I thought, you know, it's quite possible that City will come back into this and at the very least get a draw. I didn't expect them to score quite as quickly as perhaps they did. But they did get themselves back in and then the tide turned and it should have all been different. How were you feeling, Adam? Were you were you thinking that City were going to slip or were you always confident that they would turn it round? Um, so at half-time, I wasn't very confident we'd win the game at all. I could just see West Ham doing as they did to us in the first half, was having lots of the ball and then hitting us on the counter-attack. They looked really, really dangerous. Obviously, we've not got a fully fit back line and it was a bit... Um, mismatch, wasn't it? We knew that. But then Antonio's pace, Bowen was on form. I could just see it going, if not worse, just staying the same. So I would have very happily taken a draw at half-time. We were discussing this at the time. But then as the second half progressed, we obviously got better. Um, I said, if we get an equaliser by the 70th minute, I think we'll do it because we've got 20 minutes to win the game then from, from two all. And it did turn out like that. I think it was like 69, I think we scored on. And then, obviously, on 85 minutes, you're not taking the draw then. You're thinking, wow, you know, you need to be winning this. And then all of a sudden, you're disappointed at the end of the game. So it was really strange. 45 minutes, you go from, well, I'm happy to get a draw here to how did we not win that? Um, I think it's testament to our character that we managed to come back. Um, but yeah, disappointing that we started off so leaky at the back, maybe. I know they only probably went forward and created two two chances and two goals, but we can't be doing that. You know, that was the city of maybe the first season under Guardiola where we, we have all the ball and we concede. Um, and then in the Champions League over the, say, the last three or four seasons where it's felt like we've done all the right things, but we've just been too leaky at the back. It just seemed like a, a return of the city that doesn't win the title rather than one that does. Mm. I think so games are all about momentum, aren't they, at this stage? And I think when you've got a team like City... 
the, the first half yet yeah, was disappointing. Um, but the way that West Ham play, they, they try to soak up pressure and they're a good counter-attacking team and they do catch you with people like Jared Bowen on that transition. And that's how they got ahead. Now, at 2-0, it's always a daft thing. People say, oh, it's a dangerous scoreline. I'd always like to be 2-0 ahead rather than 2-0 down, that's for sure. But it's about that next goal. If, if City were going to get that next goal, the whole shift of momentum changes. And that's exactly what happened. You know, you go second half and 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 really should have won the game um, just because of that shift in momentum and, and getting that early goal it then affects West Ham's style of play. They start to get a bit nervy. And in that stadium, when you've got, what is it, 60-odd thousand in there who were desperately wanting West Ham to win a game and there's there's a real pressure on West Ham at home to, to get success. And Manchester City can deal with that better than, than West Ham players can at the moment. Talk us through your emotions of the day, Amy. Were you up and down or were you quite chilled or just tell us how you were feeling as that game unfolded um like i don't know what happens we sometimes we're just so slow and you're like you 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 just it's half of it's frustration like you just what you just willing the feel like you're willing the ball in the net and it and it's not happening um like oh we're just making silly mistakes you know at vital times um, you know, Edison's looking a bit shaky and, you know, he's just doing silly things and they're not talking to each other at the back like they normally do. And, you know, I don't want to, like, pick on players because it's not nice, but I think a lot of it is tiredness and the, the amount of games that we've played. And, like you say, we've got quite a few injuries in the back. And um, so, yeah... I say I think it was more frustration like in the first half, but second half we was we were better. We we got into it with you know we got our momentum back, but um, I think sometimes it's too late by then. But you you take a draw, it's better than a loss. Um, but yeah, West Ham are a good team, and like I say, because they 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 need you know they they've got something to play for. They are teams teams at the bottom are more harder to play towards the end of the season because they will, you know, they want to stay up and they want to get as many points as they as they can. Um, but yeah, we, I think we're just frustrating sometimes. We can't, you know, we can be quite slow sometimes, and you just want just want it, us to be a bit quicker. Jack Grealish continues to be a player who splits opinion. Um, at half time, if you saw the match day vlog that I do, there's one fan on there quite critical of Jack Grealish. Um, suggesting that you've just been talking about slowing the game down, Amy, that he is the major culprit for that. I suppose you could look at Riyad Mahrez on the other side and say that he, to a certain extent, also can slow the game down a little bit. And yet Grealish scores the goal that gets City back into the game. And every time he got the ball in the away end, um, I could hear voices around me. More than any other player, it felt like, that when he got the ball, people go, go on, Jack. Take him on, Jack. Do this, Jack. And yet when another player got the ball, I didn't hear the same shouts. I don't know if that's because people are shouting at him because they want him to do well or because they're frustrated or because, as lots of people are saying, you know, he's, that he might be getting better or will get better or whatever. And yet, and yet I'm, you know, we had Rodney Marsh on, on the, uh, the podcast a couple of weeks ago and, 
Um, he didn't name him, but I got the feeling that he was talking about Jack Grealish's baby being the surprise exit this summer. So Grealish is still a, a big a big talking point, really, isn't he? What, what do you make of him, Paul? I, I think he's, um, in terms of talent, he's an unbelievable footballer. He really is. I mean, he's, uh, he's gone from Aston Villa where he was expected to to be the creator and the scorer. And he was for probably, I don't know the stats, but I bet about 95% of Villa's goals, he was the catalyst to them scoring and creating chances. Now he's coming to a Manchester City side where he's not, he's not the big fish. He is in terms of the transfer fee, but he's not the big fish in terms of the creator. So you've got people like Silva, you've got people like Kevin De Bruyne, you've got... Um, Riyad Mahrez, who's probably got more goals than Jack this season. You've got Phil Foden. So he's probably fifth, maybe sixth in the pecking order. You then you add people like Gundogan to it as well. And he's not, he, he isn't the big fish. And I think the sort of personality Jack is, he probably needs to be a bigger fish than what he is, if, if that makes sense. You know, he, he needs to, he needs to be the star. And he's obviously got star status because of the transfer fee. Um, and everybody's got this expectation that every time he picks the ball up, he's going to do something fantastic. The thing that I've noticed from him, particularly that you know this season when I've been watching him, he doesn't he doesn't go at people one v one and beat people in the final third like he used to do for Villa. He, he tends to get it. He threatens to go at somebody and then he'll check out and he'll play a nice simple pass and then go again. And I, I just think he's he's changed his style of game. Now, whether that's what the manager wants, whether he feels as though he's got to change to fit in, I'd really like to see him be the player that, that he was at Aston Villa, where he's going at people in the 18-yard box and trying to get past the final man. And a lot of times he gets brought down, he wins fouls, he's really clever at it. I'd like to see him do more of that. Um, and I think he could be, a. I really do think he could be an unbelievable player for Manchester City if he, if he can just add more of his Aston Villa stuff to what he's doing at the moment as a City player. I'll come back to whether or not he should play in the big games or big game that remains in a moment. But um, Adam and, and Amy, let's start with Adam. You know, what, what are your thoughts on, on Jack Grealish? I think over the past... Five or six games, he's really improved on what I've seen over the rest of the season. Um, and me and my family were saying that at the weekend, how much better uh, we've seen him be. Um, understand completely uh, what was said then about him not taking players on as much. But I feel like we had a similar thing with Mares when he first came, whereas Leicester were always playing into large spaces and attacking large spaces, whereas and, and Villa were whereas City attacked small spaces and particularly against West Ham in that first half, they were very deep. There's not much space for him to run into in the first place. So unless you find yourself on the counter-attack or you find yourself with a lot of space down the side, I, found, I find it difficult to expect him to run into space that isn't there because then you're just losing the ball, you know. The argument is, yeah, just go and run at him and sometimes it comes off, sometimes it doesn't. You take that risk um, and the big players do, but Pep likes keeping the ball and if you feel like you've got more of a chance of uh, keeping the ball by playing it backwards, then perhaps Pep prefers that than taking the risk when there's no need to take that risk. Um, so yeah, I just feel like he's a bit of a victim of our system and the way that teams set up against us at the moment. But Mahrez has 
come into his own since that first half of the season or season that he had. And I feel like he, he's got over that. And it, there's been loads of examples where he's um, been brilliant for us. So I can hopefully Quilix does the same thing. But yeah, I just feel like he's a bit of a victim of our, of our system at the moment. And he's not able to run into the space that Villa had just because it's not there. You're both right, of course, in what you've said about Grealish. Um, but I would suggest, Adam, that Gabriel Jesus, particularly, uh, Raheem Sterling, when he's playing, they don't keep the ball at all costs. They do take players on. They do cause um, consternation sometimes at the back of the opposition. And yet, often, particularly Raheem Sterling, it seems, is the player that the fans pick on and say, you know, he gives the ball away or he isn't succeeding things. So it's getting that fine balance between taking players on and being creative and dribbling and obviously something you did, Simo, you know, taking people on and going at them, but not losing the ball. Do you think Grealish is too safe? Uh, is, is, is there some lack of confidence there? Well, I think it's probably, I think as Adam said there, it's, it's about it's about the style that City want to play, that Pep wants to play. They are, they're a real possession-based team, aren't they? I mean, some of the possession stats over the season are quite scary, really, when you're looking at the, the percentage that City are having in comparison to the opposition. They want to keep the ball. I think one of the problems that City have is when they come up against a team that goes into a low block like, like West Ham did, I think Amy's right, where... If it's slow the way they move the ball, it's easy to, def to, defend it, to defend in that low block around the 18-yard box. When City are moving it quickly and it's one and two touch and they're getting at people and, they, and they're getting inside the 18-yard box, one of the things that, that City score a lot of goals from is one of the wide players, whether it be a fullback in Cancelo or, um, or Zinchenko or whether it's Grealish or, or um, Riyad Mahrez, they take the, the, the defence deep and then they, they roll a ball back for somebody to come and whip a crossing from just outside the 18-yard box and they get late runners coming into the box and scoring from that. And I think that's the style that they want to play. I'm only presuming that because of the number of goals they score they score like that. It must be one of the things they work on. So it, it is a different type of game that Jack Grealish has to play and Riyad Mahrez. Um, so, so that's probably part of the reason why. You've got players like Gabriel Jesus and, um, and Raheem Sterling who, who their game is going 1v1 and trying to trying to get in the box and score um, by, by individual skills. So when you are doing that sort of bravery, the chances are you're going to lose the ball quite often, really, because it's not going to happen all the time. I think you've just got to get the right mix of it. It's it's a bravery to go at people and and actually be brave enough that you might lose the ball sometimes, but not not lose that edge by going a little bit too safe and just playing that nice, simple pass all the time. I think you've got to have the right mix in it. And I do think it's the style that City play. We talked a lot on the podcast last week about the imminent rival of Erling Haaland. Uh, we can also talk about departures now because we know Fernandinho is going to go. Um, there is rumours, of course, of uh, Gabriel Jesus, um, maybe Bernardo, who knows? Raheem Sterling's been linked with a move away. Uh, and only recently, um, Adam's just drawn my attention to the fact that Erling, uh, sorry, to Elkay uh, Gundogan potentially going to go uh, this summer now that he's, he's been reportedly on a flight to Madrid. Um, and it looks like he might disappear this summer. I'm a big fan of 
um, Ilkay Gundogan, not least because um, he was born in Gelsenkirchen in Germany, which is where my mum was from. So his particular connection to him there. But I do like him as a player anyway. And he is one of the players who is much more careful with the ball, a lot more, um, you know, careful in possession and and, and trying to, to run the game. Fernandinho's had a bit of stick. Um, obviously, you know, he's, he made a... Potentially a mistake against Real Madrid. A lot of people are blaming for that goal. I wouldn't entirely blame him for it anyway. Um, and obviously the same thing perhaps at West Ham yesterday. Um, I'll bring him in Amy initially on this one. Fernandinho's going to go. Looks like Ilkay Gundogan might go. Um, how do you feel about absent? You know those who might go in the summer. Are there, Are you happy about them to stepping down now from City, or would you like to see anybody else go? Where do you stand on all that? I mean, I don't, you know, I, I don't like players leaving. And I know you, you've got to, like, obviously, like, everyone goes on about, oh, Fernandinho's 37 now. And, like, and I'm like, like and I go, I'm 37. Like, like, you know, it just makes you, like, and I know they're, like, be, better athletes than I am. But, you know, it's not old. We're um, assuming. We're assuming. We don't know that. Um, but, no, I don't, you know, I don't, I wouldn't want, like you know, I don't want Sterling to go. I don't want Jesus to go. Um, I'll say I, I wouldn't want anyone to go, but I can understand why Fernandinho was like wanting to go. Um, How about but, Gundogan? Is he one you? Yeah, but I, I I'm a bit surprised about that. That you know, I, I really like Gundogan. I think he's a really nice person. Like he comes across as a really, really nice person. Um, the way like on his birthday he'll go to like the old people's home and, and go and see you know the old folk I think that's dead sweet um, and like you know I just I just I don't know I, I don't want anyone to go really um, but maybe this thing with Harland has, has upset the apple cart with a few people I don't know um, but you know there's I'd, I'd say I don't want anyone to go, but if you know if that's the way it's got to be, the way it's got to be. But the Gundogan thing's a bit a bit weird. But obviously, I've heard obviously be Sterling and and Jesus. Um, but then it happens all the time, doesn't it? When they want when they want to be playing all the time, these you know the uh, PR people are are in there, aren't they? Going oh well, such and such everybody wants you and blah de blah de blah and. You know, we've heard rumours of uh, Mr. Pogba might be coming, which I think is quite hilarious. Um, I said, I've already said, like, I want the Pogba who plays for France, not the one that plays for United. Um, so yeah, like, I don't know. I just think sometimes there's a lot of rumours going around, and but I, I don't want anyone to go. But you know, if they want to go. They've got, they want to go. Adam. Yeah, I'm brought the story to me anyway of Ilkay Gundogan, so you should talk yeah. about it. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm sort of the opposite of Amy. I think we need a refresh, and obviously I love all the lads that have been playing for us for a few years, but you either need to refresh the squad or refresh the manager uh, after a few years, and I don't want Pep to go, so obviously uh, it's the squad that needs to change. Uh, I think it was it's overdue. I think we, we've done really well this season. I didn't expect us to win the league. We've, we sort of over, overperformed, I think. It looked like the club was ready for a reset last summer, but it seemed like no one had the money to take the players off us. And I was Bernardo wanted to go. There's talk about Gundo even going last year. Laporte, obviously, after the season that he had, wasn't sure if he was going to stay. There's rumblings around Sterling. So it seemed like 
we've been needing a change for a while. We obviously wanted a striker last summer. That didn't happen. So it's almost like the squad reset has been delayed a summer. But now it feels like the other clubs seem to have a bit more money. Um, we know that we need a refresh this summer to keep hold of Guardiola for, for longer. Otherwise, it becomes stale. Um, and he said himself, you know, if the if the team is despondent, then he'll leave. So we need to refresh the players, bring new people with new ideas, provide him with a new challenge. And that's what bringing a striker does. It means that we're playing in, in a new way. We're not going to be playing like we are at the moment. It provides him a new challenge, as well as the players that we're about to sign and the players that are already there. Um, so, yeah, I think um, Gundo... He's been having back problems, hasn't he? He's not looked great, I don't think, this season. Obviously, he was amazing last year, scoring lots of goals. That hasn't been his role, but I don't think he's even been great in his role this season. Um, so I think it's probably about right that he was to leave. Um, Sterling, I'd rather him stay because I think he's a, an out-and-out. Out, he can be an out-and-out out winger, which I think is what we need when we're playing a proper number nine, going back to a, star, a, a Ster, Sterling, Sane and an Aguero-type mm. front three. Um, I'd much rather him yeah. stay. I know Mares is getting on a little bit in terms of um, comparative to the other wingers. It could be a chance for him to go. So it seems like a bit of a shake-up, um, but I wouldn't mind it. Although I love all the lads, I think, you know, a squad does need to evolve. Otherwise, you, you stay where you are and you manage your leaves or you end up becoming a team that's lost in the past, I think. Oh, you are now a manager. You're back in management again, of course, so right now. Uh, you've been a player, you've gone through transitions, I'm sure, as a player, seen players come and go while you've been at a club and you're now doing it yourself as the, the man at the top. So how do you feel about the refreshing, the refreshment style of, of thinking, you know, that you've got to bring in new players and, and whether or not what Amy's saying is it upsets people. No, I'm not like he's saying I'm misquoting you maybe, Amy, but sort of it upsets the balance sometimes when a new player comes in changes the dynamic what can you insightfully yeah, I mean, tell us on that I think um it, it has to keep evolving and and clubs like city they have to evolve and you know that Manchester City would have probably known last season or would have had half an eye on last season maybe even the season before what's going to happen in the summer of 2022 so they would already start planning out and would have a like a a progression plan of who's coming through the system, who might be the next player to, to come into the team that maybe could affect it, whether that be from their own group of, of clubs that they have, whether it's from somebody abroad or, or somebody in England who they're looking at. And I think clubs like City, they always have to evolve. They can't stay the same. They've got to keep changing and try and improving. And, you know, you just think back to whenever it was Aguero left a season or two ago, and everybody's saying, oh, no, who, how are we going to score goals? Where are the goals going to come from? I don't think they've struggled this year for goals, have they? Even though they've not had a nine, they've scored a bag full of goals. So that's resolved. When Vincent Company decided to leave, the, the, the whole, you know, let's build a statue is a legend. The club's not going to be the same. And then Diaz comes into it and Laporte comes into his own and John Stone starts playing better. So these things happen all the time and I'm sure the recruitment people at, at City would have had half an eye on what if Fernandinho goes yeah he's 37 um, I had to smile when Amy said that Gundogan goes to visit the old folk is that the 37 year old Amy that he goes to see you know, like... <laughs> yeah the old folk it just makes me laugh like when they say like oh footballers are such and such an age and I go I'm older than half of these footballers like but, yeah. you know, my knees are going and I don't get paid half as much as they do. 
So it, <laughs> it, it is just one of them things where there would have been knowing that Fernandinho was going to go at some point. They probably, you know, Gabriel Jesus hasn't played every single game. So there comes a point where he's going to get naffed off and he's going to want to go. So they, they'll have already been looking. You know, I'm sure if they could have got Erling Haaland last season, they probably would have gone for him. And the, maybe the Harry Kane rumours might not have happened, but they also would have known last year that they could get Harling out for a whatever this buyout clause, 50, 50 odd million. I don't know if it's euros or pounds, but, you know, for a number nine, as prolific as him, regarded as the best number nine in probably world football, and he's young, to get him for 50 odd million is an unbelievable deal. So the squad will keep evolving. And it, me, as from afar, I, I'm sort of looking and really interested to see who the next Fernandinho is going to be, just like I was waiting to see how Diaz would be to try and sort of uh, fill the boots of, of Vincent Company. So it, it will happen. It has to happen for City to keep moving forward. Talk about what's left of the season in just a moment. What well, One of the subjects I want to just touch on before we move on to that is the celebrations for Sergio Aguero. Obviously, he came back into the country last Friday. Uh, they unveiled the new statue, which we knew would be in the same style as David Silver and Vincent Company. Um, somebody described it to me as looking like it's been made out of bakepot foil. I have to admit that I'm not a huge fan of those statues. So I love the fact that there are statues there, don't get me wrong, but I'm not a big fan of the style. And we saw the Tony Cruz um, sort of jokes that were flying around, which he got involved in, claiming that actually Aguero's statue's face looks more like him than it does of Sergio Aguero. I was, uh, on a more serious note, I was a little bit sort of sad, really, that that the the statue was just suddenly unveiled on Twitter, you know, and it must have happened in the early hours of the morning or overnight, rather than it being on a match day when um, a couple of hours before kickoff or something when fans could have been there and been present. So I was a little bit disappointed with that and thought that perhaps they got that wrong a little bit. Then there was a lunch. Um, a, a friend of mine went to, to uh, the lunch and his picture with Sergio. Um, I think he he's the, you know he bought a ticket that was near enough a thousand pounds to be at that lunch so that he could have the privilege of meeting Sergio and having a picture. It was it was quite a you know exclusive sort of thing, um, which again slightly disappoints me because it just feels that the club is moving further away from the fans by doing things like that. And then in the evening it was ballot only, which Amy's already. Um, mentioned and then you know 2,000 fans were at uh, this sort of warehouse in Manchester um, and um, my wife and son went along to it and said it was crowded you know but, but I guess Adam you know all the young people might say what's wrong with that you know it was a brilliant night um, what did disturb me that I heard was that Martin Tyler uh, the commentator from Sky went along to this as a guest, of course, an invited guest. And when he was introduced on the stage, uh, there was a lot of aggressive, not just gentle ribbing, but aggressive booing. And at least one pint of beer was thrown towards him, which I believe actually hit Gail Clichy rather than hit Martin Tyler. And if you've seen any of the pictures of it and from the people that have told me, um, you know, people were really quite shocked by that. Now, the observations I would make on that, and obviously you can tell me your thoughts in a second, um, is that 
um, when Martin Tyler, I've met Martin Tyler a few times. He's an absolute gentleman, a lovely, lovely fella. Um, always got lots of time to talk to me and he's always very, very complimentary to me about Manchester City. Um, but when he was at, I think, Aguero's last game or something like that, um, there was some negative reaction from the crowd that day who some sections believe he's anti-City. Um, and just before I go back to the Aguero thing, just let me tell you this. On social media today, I saw a City fan put up that they'd obviously watched the West Ham game and they'd heard Martin Tyler's reaction, you know, as in commentary to Grealish scoring the goal that got City back into the game. And, and his words were that he thought Martin Tyler was gutted that Grealish had got City back into the game. And he put this on social media and a West Ham fan reacted to that and said, actually, it sounded to me like he was too... Too, pray, too excited when the West Ham players scored the own goal that got City level and that the West Ham felt that Martin Fan, Mel, oh, my words are all getting caught up here, so I'll start that again, that the West Ham fan actually thought that Martin Tyler was biased towards City and the City fan massively thought he was biased towards West Ham, which just so shows the tribal nature of supporters, and there is an element of City fans at the moment who think the world's against them, the media's against them, everybody hates them, and I can't help thinking they're starting to sound a little bit bitter, but certainly the way that they reacted to Martin Tyler at that event, I thought was disgusting. I was ashamed of it. I sent Martin a message privately and and uh, of support, and he said that the, the club had, had uh, apologised to him and his words were, what doesn't, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. So power to his elbow. But I, I really felt upset about hearing about that particular event. The club probably got it wrong by inviting him. I've been seeing a little bit of negative reaction before, but that still doesn't make it right that you're reacting that way. Now, I know you wouldn't have been at the event, Paul, and you probably wouldn't have known everything about what I'm, I'm just saying. So I'll bring you in at the end because I bet you've met Martin Tyler at some stage. But what about you two? You, obviously, Amy, I know wasn't there. Were you there, Adam? And have you got a view on what I've just been talking about? I wasn't there, no. So it's hard to sort of put an opinion across in terms of how bad it was, um, how bad I felt it was. I think you sort of really should be there to be able to feel it and give a proper opinion. Um, I feel, in general, I feel it's okay to boo people um, if you don't appreciate what they're doing or you don't particularly like them. I think we should be allowed to do that. But then throwing things um, and personal abuse, that sort of thing, is always too much for me. Um, so, yeah, I wouldn't, I wouldn't back that. But I think people, um, you know, are well within the rights to, to boo someone if they feel like, if they feel that they're not particularly uh, on their side. And I, don't, I, I listened... I've listened quite a few times to quite a few of Martin Tyler's comments on our goals. And it is hard to say that, you know, he sounds very excited. He does seem very strangely just unbothered when we score. Um, so I've, I've sort of, I've sort of looked at that myself and thought it's a bit strange. Um, so yeah, but I can understand why people feel that way, but then obviously it's not right to be throwing stuff. So I'd never condone anything like that, but I think we should be all right to sort of boo whoever we want, whether it be on a football field or a, a stage for me. Amy, obviously you will be very well aware because Guero was your hero that Martin Tyler commentated on Sky that day. It was his words that have been put up in the 93-20 lounge. It's him that went, Aguero! He certainly sounded excited that day, um, which was, was why he was at that particular event. Have you got any views on this? 
Um, I mean, he's, you know, I've said it before on previous podcasts about certain channels and certain pundits who, who are, you know, against us a lot of the time. Um, like I say, though, you know, we've heard things of saying, you know, we're never going to win the Champions League because we boo it, we boo, you know, we. I don't personally, because I don't really care, um, but people boo the, the the theme tune of the Champions League. Um, the other day, Liverpool fans booed Abide With Me. Um, and the I don't, national anthem. Yeah, I don't understand where that comes from. I'm not really thingy. Um, but, like I say, it's the freedom of speech and things like that. But I don't condone violence in, in one way, shape or form. And the fact that the candidate even it, Martin Tyler, it Gail Cliche, and apparently Cliche was not happy about it at all. Um, you know, you it's just ridiculous. Like like Adam said, boo boo what you want, that's fine, but throwing projectiles is quite childish. You know, my toddlers do that at nursery. You know what I mean? It's just absolutely pathetic. Um, but yeah, you know, there is a lot of people who do feel like the world owes them a living at the moment and um I don't know. I just feel like people are very angry for, for absolutely nothing. Um, and I've seen it coming out of the stadium. People are just literally just having a fight for the sake of having a fight. Um, I think people just need to chill out and calm down and just, um, you know, the, the thing with the... It's like the other day on Sky Sports, um, Micah Richards was in there, obviously... He's a city player. He's an ex-city player, and yeah, he does. He probably is biased towards us, but that's because he's got Graham Sooners and somebody else sat next to him who are ex-Liverpool, like United, whoever else. And you know, like the who's gonna win? Who's gonna win? Oh well, I think he's gonna win. And Michael says City because he's going to say City. He's not going to turn around and go, it's somebody else. Um, you know, I just think. Half of it is half of it is right. I, you know, I do feel sometimes that some of the pundits are against us, um, which I don't understand why. I've I've no idea why. But then I also think some city fans need to grow a pair, and a lot of it is the younger ones. To be fair, the ones who've uh, have only just lived this life with us, not the not the previous life, and they didn't they've not seen all what we had to put up with. Um, so when things go wrong, they think, oh, my God, City's going to lose again, because they think we should always win trophies. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But booing, fair enough, do what you want, but I don't condone you throwing throwing things. No, not at all. Have you ever been booed, Paul? <laughs> I don't think I've had a game where I haven't been booed, Cheesy. I, I find <laughs> it really interesting. It's... Um... It's something that's always interested me, and it's the way we are in our country, I'm afraid. There's, we are a country, and I've worked abroad as well, so I've seen it. Um, I've, I've seen what happens in other countries. There, everybody is really biased about their own, their own country, their own league, their own football league. We are a country who loves to build people up so that we can just knock them back down again. 
Yeah. And I remember years ago when, when United were winning things and everybody hated Man United. And I know everybody in Manchester still does hate United. Um, I understand that. But everybody hated United. People hate Liverpool because they've won. Now, unfortunately, it's City's turn to be hated because they win things. There's a jealousy about winning. And, and, and that's just the way we are in our country. We love to read scandal in a newspaper. Yeah. Why? Why do we want to do that? It's just the way we are as a country, and I and I don't get it. But that's one side of it. The other side that I can't, I just can't get my head round is, firstly, Martin Tyler is a top top bloke. He's had an unbelievable career as a commentator, wonderful career, and he's a really really decent bloke. So what I don't get is, you pay a thousand. Did you say it was a thousand pounds for for a couple of people to go to this? this do for Aguero. The top price, there were different categories, but that yeah, was the so, top price. So you pay up to a grand to go to this really special event to celebrate a, a, an unbelievable Manchester, Manchester City career. So you're there to celebrate Sergio Aguero. The fact that Martin Tyler's there is just a sideshow. He was the to one be, who... To be fair, Paul, to be fair, there were two different events. So the, right. the sort of top price when they were met him was in the afternoon. A yeah. completely oh, okay. separate crowd and a different mm. set of people were at the one in the, the yeah. evening. But that doesn't negate yeah. what happened, does it? So, so I just don't get why you want to do it. And the thing that I've noticed over, over the years, and, and I, I can't even remember when I first went into management, it must be... It's got to be about 17, 18 years ago. And as a manager, you get abuse. I accept that. That's part and parcel of the game. You get abuse. The thing that I've noticed over recent years, it's got to a different level now. It, it's gone. It's now. I, I don't understand where football fans believe that they have the right to say some of the things that they say from to me in the technical area or to other managers in a technical area you know listen if i'm rubbish well no i don't even have to be rubbish if i'm the opposition manager i accept i'm going to get heckled i'm probably going to get booed i'm going to get told to sit down whatever else they want to do i've had people telling me my mum's a slag i've had people telling me things about my wife about my children now if a bloke was walking down the street and somebody said to them, said something like that, they have no right to say these things. So I get what, what, what Adam and Amy are both saying. Yes, you can boo. Totally get that. Not a single problem. I think it's gone to a different level now. And some of the things that get said, they're absolutely disgusting. And I'm expected to just, you know, I've just got to look. I remember years ago, a couple of years ago, I was at Bradford City and where the dugouts are at Bradford, you were, they've changed now because our last game of the season was at Bradford. My, my seat where I was at the end of the dugout was virtually like next to the front row of the seats in the main stand. And there was this guy there who was just abusing me from the first minute of the game, absolutely abusing me. He was sitting next to me and he had his daughter who looked, I think she was probably eight year old. And he kept effing at me and calling me every name under the sun. And when Bradford scored, he was in my face celebrating. And there was a steward sat right in front of him with the, you know, the way they sit with the back to the game. And he was just staring at this lad in the crowd. And at one point I said to, he swore at me. And, and I said to him, I said, look, I don't have a problem with you abusing me. I said, you can carry on abusing me, but 
do you really think that's the right sort of language to be using in front of your daughter? Because I've got sons and I wouldn't do that in front of my sons. And he just turned to his daughter, who at this point was actually sat on his knee because she was nearly falling asleep. And he looked at her and he just said, tell him to F off. And, and the little girl just looked at me and she, and like, it wasn't F off. She was the full word. She just went off. <laughs> I'm like, and, you know, and I looked at the steward. I said, are you just going to sit there and accept that? And he went, didn't hear anything. And you sort of go, right, okay, forget it then. And this this is what goes on. And it's just it's just not right. It really isn't. So for somebody to do that to, to Martin Tyler and it to also hit then Gail Clichy, it's not right, is it? Let's be honest with you. We are we are we we are all decent human beings, or supposedly be decent human beings, who happen to support one team and somebody else supports another. So what? That's what makes the game so good, doesn't it? Which brings us on to the bit of the podcast, which if uh, Liverpool don't get three points at Southampton on Tuesday evening, suddenly becomes completely redundant. But we're <laughs> going to assume for the purposes of what's left of this podcast that Liverpool are going to win. So if you're listening to this now on Thursday morning or something and thinking, why are they talking like this when the title's over, City have won it, and, you know, it's just a celebration, then that's the reason why. It's obvious, isn't it? Um, so here we are where uh, City, it looks like, are going to have to win on the last day of the season to win the league. Now, before we talk about this specific game, Paul, you've been in that position. You know, you were a player, 1985, lovely sunny day. I think it was May the 11th, 1985. Um, City had lost at Notts County. Crowd had got a little bit bad-tempered at the defeat at uh, Notts County. I remember it well, climbing up the fences and all sorts of stuff was going on. Um, and Charlton Athletic came on the last day of the season. As it happens, it was probably your most memorable match, I would suggest. Definitely. One of your best ever performances and one of the happiest days of my life. But... I'd love you to, rather than just talk through the goals again, which we've done before, I'd just love to know how it works in a player's mind when you've had that defeat at Notts County, you know you've got to win on that last day of the season, you've got a few days to build up to it. How do you prepare mentally, physically, and what do you go through on the day? Well, it was a really strange scenario, especially for me, because... I'd only got back in the team for the, the last nine games of the season. I, I, I played, I'd obviously made my debut a couple of years earlier, but I, I got in solely because Clive Wilson and Gordon Smith both, both got ill during that week. And I was literally the week of the Cardiff game. I was the only left winged, left sided player left at the club, really. So I got in. So everything was really fresh and bright and I didn't feel any pressure, to be honest with you. Now, the Notts County game was just a ridiculous game. We were losing at half-time. We were getting battered off Notts County. And I remember the fans getting in the change room at half-time, which you cannot imagine that happening now. I think the closest anybody gets to the players in the Etihad is probably in the tunnel club through the glass. But, you know, you, you've got players actually trying to break the door down in the change rooms behind the goal at Notts County. And Mick McCarthy was probably the only one who wanted to get up and fight them. Um, but everybody calmed it down. We went out and... We still lost the game, but I, I managed to get a couple of goals. And we're going into that last game of the season, knowing that, you know, we needed a win to be sure of, of getting um, getting up there. And it, it's strange when I think about it now, because there was 
you literally used to get the paper on a Saturday night when the results all came in, didn't you? And 99.9% of results came in on Saturday. So that paper would come about six o'clock on a Saturday. You'd see the scores, you'd see what the teams were, you'd get the Sunday papers. The last, the last papers that you knew that you could get either praise or abuse was the, the Monday morning papers where you used to get marked out a 10 and it was one of them. You'd think you'd have a good game and you'd get a five and going, wow, they don't know what they're talking about. But when you got an eight or a nine, they knew exactly what they were talking about. They were, they were, that was gospel then. So, But then after that, there was nothing on the TV or nothing in the papers leading up to the game until probably the Friday so there was nowhere near the hype that goes with, with games nowadays. And um, so it was really low key and quite calm. But we also knew that we needed to get a win um, to get ourselves over the line. And everything just seemed to go well in the game. There was no there was no extra talk of we have to do this. We have to do that. We just knew we had to go out and, and try and perform. And, and I think it's different now, isn't it? You know, you think of. The, I mean, if Liverpool go and win at Southampton, you think of the media attention that's going to go on between the Liverpool game and then Sunday when the two games kick off. It's going to be so intense and there's no hiding from it. It's going to be build up and build up. And, and for City, because of what's happened in the Champions League and the fact that they didn't win the FA Cup and all that, it's probably going to be hyped up even more in favour of City because really without wishing to put more pressure on, it's theirs to lose, isn't it? You know, it's it, Liverpool, doesn't matter what they do. If City win their game, it's done and dusted and City can have the party of their lives on, on Sunday evening. There was a different type of pressure on City in those days. I mean, getting back into the, the top mm -hmm. flight was vital, of course, but a different type of expectation. Um, and this time i mean we've mentioned tribalism a little bit earlier on and how intense it is at the moment now people have different views the west ham game encapsulated that for me because some of the people i talked to were really upset that other fans were being negative against somebody like edison or whoever it might have been that they were blaming for the goals that they conceded so it focuses the mind now i, I wrote a newspaper column this week where basically saying that if City win on Sunday and go up, then it's just a big celebration. Everything's great. Erling Haaland's coming next year. Aren't City wonderful? If City don't do it on Sunday, suddenly there will be a whole raft of, of, of even City fans, let alone the media and fans of other clubs, who will be trying to blame somebody, trying to look for a yeah. scapegoat whether that be the manager, whether that be an individual player. We saw the Liverpool goalkeeper uh, make, make a mistake in the Champions League final. He never played for the club again. It mm. might not be that extreme, but that is how, not saying all of the fans, and certainly I can't imagine that you know uh, Adam or Amy or the people that are involved with me on the podcast would have that extreme reaction, but there will be some. And it's an ever-growing number of those types of fans. Amy was taught, you know, hinting at sort of like a, an expectation, you know, uh, that that some city younger, particularly city fans, now have. Are you worried about that, Paul? Are you worried about the the reaction being one extreme or the other? Because let's face it, if City didn't win the league this year, they don't win a trophy. Mm. If they didn't don't win the league this season, then you know that is seen by some people as a, as a major disaster. But you know what? They lost to Real Madrid on a, the hair's breadth of a, of a performance. Mm. 
You know, that they, they went out to West Ham in the League Cup on a penalty shootout. You know, they went out in the FA Cup in the semi-final. And if they were to lose on the last day of the season and Aston, you know, Aston Villa were to get some sort of results, that doesn't, that's not a disaster. That's still an extraordinarily great season. But yeah. the views will be so extreme, won't they? No, of course they will, because in in it, it, well, I was going to say in football, but it's actually in life now, isn't it? We all want somebody to blame. We all want what the Joneses and the Smiths have got next door. And if we can't have it, it's somebody else's fault. It ain't my fault. I'm not going to get blamed for anything. It's somebody, it's somebody else's fault. We have to blame somebody. And, and that will be it. Manchester City, in terms of the football they've played this season, have been absolutely magnificent, haven't they? They've, some of the games are just, they're a footballing lesson in the way that they go about it. They know the, the way that, that when, when they're on song, the speed that they move the ball, the, the, the fluidity of the way that they play, they've got, you know, it's like, it's like synchronised red arrows flying around all over the place. You know, it's incredible some of the football they play. Unfortunately, when you play the style of attacking football that they do and the way that they, you know, the, the, the security they have behind the ball, most teams are sort of just over the, in their own half, defending from a little bit deeper. City are 25, 30 yards from the opposition goal. They play with a real freedom about them. Unfortunately, they're going to get done on a transition. If you have a Jared Bowen or a Michael Antonio or a, a whoever else, Vinicius Junior, whoever it might be, who's got sheer pace about them, you're going to get undone at some point. But you've just got to hope that you're, you've got the ability to score more goals. So it, it's been a fantastic season. And now they have to just do one more game to get it over the line. They've just got to finish it properly with one more game. And I, I Listen, I know everybody will be disappointed if they don't do it, but it hasn't been a disaster of a season. In terms of the fact that they may not have a trophy, it's still been a really good season of football that they've played. And I'm sure the majority of City fans will know that. And when the dust settles, they'll all be disappointed, but they'll look back and think, well, we had some bloody good games there, didn't we? And we scored a bag full of goals in the Premier League and nearly got over the line in Champions League. And I think that's the... That's probably the big bugbear, isn't it, for City fans at the moment, that they can't quite just go that, whatever it was, extra 30 seconds in the Champions League semi-final or go the, the, the final hurdle to get themselves into a final. Well, all good points that you make. And I'm going to come back to your last on the last question, Paul, because now we come to the, the sort of mood ahead of this last game. I emphasise again, this is assuming that it's still a game that City have to win on the last day of the season. Um, I personally um, I have no major concerns. I think City will win. Uh, I actually think they'll be so fired up um, that they will probably win by a few goals. Um, maybe I'm being, oh, I certainly don't mean that in an arrogant way, um, but I, I just judge it by what I see on the field and the way that Pep's team can build itself up. On the other hand, people are saying, oh, Steven Gerrard, is it written in the stars? The Aston Villa manager, um, you know, will he try? I mean, the City fans are about to be singing the Slippy G song. So um, let's start with Amy. You know, um, what, what are you going to go to, to the Etihad? Yeah. Nervous, worried, anxious, fearful or optimistic? And, and uh, where do you stand on it all? Um, I'll, I'll probably be feeling sick. I, I will definitely be feeling sick. 
Um, I would have liked us to have kept that 11, you know, 11 point difference. I would have, I, I, I hate, I hate this. I actually hate it. Like it, it's, I would have rather had a great big massive point thingy and be able to go in and even if we lost, we still win because we had a big massive point thing. I hate stress. I absolutely hate it. I don't like derby days. I don't like this. And you should have seen me with the QPR game. And it's still to this day, I still can't believe what happened because if you'd see me, like I literally was the most stressed out person ever. Um, this is why I have no nails. Being a City fan, you do not have nails. Um, this is why I'm, I've got grey hair. Um, yeah, like I don't, I don't like it, and I would have rather us had a great big massive point difference in going in feeling calmer. This is just awful because I feel like Liverpool will fall in crap and come out clean all the time, and and I hate it. So I would have rather had a nice big massive point difference on the last game than having the stress that we did. With I hear United. what you're saying. I hear what you're saying, but surely these are the days you live for. This excitement, you know, that, yeah. that, that energy in the pit of your stomach. Isn't that what, you know, this is, these are the days you dream of, aren't they? Uh, I, I don't, I say, I don't like being, being stressed. It doesn't, it doesn't do well for my digestive system. I just need like less stress and calmness and uh, so no, I'll probably be feeling feeling really sick all day. So the final question to you, Amy, is the city gonna do it? I, I don't know. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Right, come on, Adam. What, what's your thoughts on it all? <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm really nervous about it. Um I was really hoping for us to get that penalty in and then we could have gone in a real celebratory mood to the weekend. And I just think we would have had a much higher chance of winning if we would have already been, you know, what is it, four point, three points clear as it would have been um, going into the game because we would have all been in a celebratory mood. The atmosphere wouldn't have had any nerves in it. I think even if we would have, you know, gone down in that game, it would have been fine because the goal difference is huge. I just worry about the atmosphere. And it's actually probably one for you, Paul, in terms of uh, how it gets onto the field. I don't know whether it does or not. I'm just a bit worried that, if it becomes a bit nervy uh, in the stadium and we get past, what, maybe half-time and it's nil-nil, whether that'll start impacting the players. I don't know if that does come onto the field or not and whether you f you'd feel it as a player. Yeah, you do obviously feel it. I mean, you can tell it, it's not. The truth is, going into the game, all of the City players know what's at stake. They, they know the job that they have to do. When you then go, into the, go out onto the pitch... If the crowd are up, you can normally tell. I used to have this thing at Derby County that when the fans sing the club anthem before kickoff, I could actually tell whether we were going to play well or not. It was a really stupid thing that when the crowd were bouncing with the Steve Bloomer's army song, you, you just knew it was going to happen. And I think the City fans can play a really important part because the players... They're human. As much as they are top, top footballers, they will be nervous going into Sunday. Just like Liverpool will, they'll be nervous as well, but City City players will be. And the fans can help if they can make it a, a really good atmosphere and stay with them as well. It was one of the things I asked the Carlisle fans to do because when I took over with 15 games to go, everybody told me the atmosphere was toxic. And we're talking about 
four and a half, five thousand fans. We're not talking about an Etihad stadium full, but it affected the players. And I said to them, look, just give us a chance. Stick with us, support us. I can't guarantee it'll work, but give us a chance. And they stuck with us. And the players were coming off the pitch saying, wow, how different was that to play when they're not booing us and we're not getting heckled for a mistake? So you just got to stick with them. And, and I honestly do believe that if they if City were to play Villa at the Etihad, if they were to play them 100 times, I would probably say 99 is probably too many. But I bet 95 times out of 100 they'd beat them. So if they just go and do what they would normally do, they'll be fine. There won't be an issue. And I, and I do think that if the atmosphere is right inside the stadium and the players are at it, I think they'll win the game comfortably. I really do. Final word to you, Adam, then, because I didn't ask you what you thought was going to happen. What's going to happen on Sunday? I think uh, I think we'll win. I'll um, I'll say that. I think there's more chance of us winning than losing. Um, I think as a new, you've got to go from a neutral point of view, I think, when you try and predict something like that um, and go against your negative thoughts as a City fan. So I think, you know, like, like Paul said, the amount of times you'd bet us to to beat them, uh, if, you were, if you were a betting man, then uh, you'd say we would. So you just got to go with that, I think and put all your nerves aside and speak about it rationally, I think. Well, I just want to thank Howard Solicitors again. They've got offices in uh, Greater Manchester and Cheshire. They specialise in areas of law that affect the individual. So it's likely that if you need some help or guidance, they have someone there who can help you. Call them on 0161 872 9999 or email law at howardsolicitors.com. Um, many thanks to Paul Simpson, of course, for being back again as a great guest and always welcome, Paul. But I suppose during next season, he'll be back to the nose of the grindstone while Carlisle are playing, or, you know, games and everything. But I really appreciate you taking some time out again to join us. No, You're always no, welcome no. here. Uh, always be a hero of mine, uh, as are, of course, Adam and Amy as well. That's not to diminish uh, their hero status. Um of course, uh, it's going to be a, a difficult weekend. That's assuming, and I keep saying this, that um, Liverpool beat Southampton. It might well be that uh, the game on Sunday is just a nice, relaxed celebration. And we will do one more podcast before we take a break for the summer. I'm not sure quite when we're going to record that yet. Um, it might depend on whether there's uh, City have won the league, whether there's a parade. Um, how long the celebration's gone at the Etihad on Sunday evening, assuming, of course, that things go well. But there will be one more podcast. Uh, and, of course, there will be a match day vlog as well if you go over to YouTube. And during the summer, incidentally, I'll just say this as well, during the summer, we although there won't be match day vlogs, there will still be videos appearing on the Forever Blue YouTube channel. Uh, and if you didn't listen to the last podcast, which was an extra one that I put up, the reflections of 93-20 and, uh, and that season, have a listen to it. It's a little bit different than what we normally do. It, it wasn't a recording with the gang of people in this way. It was something I did a few years ago. Have a listen to that. It's something I'm very proud of. Anyway, thanks very much for, for everybody for listening. Thanks to my guests for, for being here tonight and Howard Solicitors. Uh, but if you only remember one thing from this podcast, just remember this. It's always great being a blue.